You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm with Mohita Nagpal, and she is the VP of marketing at an amazing company called Hiver. And Mohita is a B2B SaaS marketing leader with over 10 years of experience in growth stage product companies. She's currently VP of marketing at Hiver. She started off her career in print journalism and transitioned to marketing when she joined Wingify as a content specialist. She's a full stack marketer with experience in demand generation, PPC, branding, and product marketing. She loves building content-driven inbound engines to fuel the SaaS marketing funnel and is a strong proponent of making B2B marketing more human. I love that. Welcome to the show, Mojita. Thanks, Paris. Thanks for inviting me. So I want to lead off with this question. What jumped out at me most in your LinkedIn summary, your about summary, was this. Um, B2B should not be an excuse for being boring. Would you mind just uh, describing to our audience what you mean by that statement? I think you started off with a very good question. I really love that people when people ask me. So uh, I think this is a very inherent my philosophy. It's not something like I read somewhere or borrowed somewhere. Uh, it's just that like my background in journalism, I've always been excited by people's stories, you know, stories which, uh, you know, people can absorb and there's something that has emotion in it, right? And when I moved to uh, B2B, you know, with all the three companies I've worked with, I and over the years of my experience, I've seen that people tend to default to what everyone else is already doing, right? The set channels, this is how we do B2B. And they're supposed to be in this manner. Your content is for businesses. So it's supposed to sound professional. And when they say professional, that gives them the leeway of being boring, right? Now, really, do you want to read all of that? Like we have so much of competition right now, you know, so many companies are competing. And I think it's just like the easy way out, you know, to just stick to conventions. So I feel there's a lot of uh, scope for more empathy, humanness and fun, fun in B2B. Right. And that's where the scope is in terms of marketing. Now that, you know, we were discussing earlier, the channels are getting saturated. So you have to in- innovate the existing ones. Right. So you have mm-hmm. to really push the en- en- envelope. Because ultimately, who's reading your content? Who's consuming? Who's making the decisions? So it might be a business entity, but you have to appeal to a few people. Right. Like, first of all, it has to be one person and they have to be moved in some way. Right. So ultimately, mm-hmm. you are marketing to humans, but a business is taking a decision. Right. I think that's great. And uh, bringing, a, bringing a human touch, I think it's essential now. Um, people have for so many years seen so much of the same stuff. And I think this is a, this is a great segue into some of the earlier, earlier stages of your career, because you have been, I think there's, there's two real, uh, I believe, pivotal experiences that you had prior to joining Hiver. And that was at, at Wingify and also at belong.co where you were uh, very, very involved with lots of digital marketing, content marketing, and demand gen. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in those two companies leading up to Hiver? Um, what, uh, how did that experience shape you into the, into the marketer that you are today? Right. So uh, I don't have a formal marketing degree. I don't have an MBA. I come from a journalism background. What I had was great writing skills. Uh, and I believe great research skills. So I happened to accidentally get into marketing. You know, it was it was a sheer accident. I got into it. I thought, okay, let me try it out for a while. I was not into marketing or tech per se, right? Uh, but I think I joined as a content specialist, obviously, because I already had those capabilities, those skills. Uh, but when I started working, I found it very fascinating and interesting, right? Like, and there's so many facets to it. So I joined Wingify when we were like 30 people. And as we were growing and scaling as an organization, so by the time I left, there were like 200 people. So as we were scaling, I also got a lot of opportunity to try out new channels and things, right? With marketing, we were very small. And in India, especially, 
P2P was not known at all. There were just a handful of companies, right? And when we started off with content marketing, that, that was the only thing we were doing. And as we scaled, I got to learn and grow with the organization, which was brilliant, right? The next channel we tried out was PPC, like AdWords. Uh, the next channel after that we tried was, say, PR, branding, events. And I got to try my hands at everything, you know, product marketing. Mm -hmm. In the end, like when, when I left, my designation was actually customer marketing, which is a very, very niche role even today, right? Like, because you don't get to that life cycle of the entire stage pretty easily. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it was an amazing journey for me, uh, almost for four years where I tried out a lot and I'm, I'm a generalist. I call myself a generalist, though I specialize in content branding, but I really like to try out everything. I, I kind of get bored if I, if I keep doing the same thing. So it kind of paved a great, uh, you know, platform for me, not just to uh, basically learn, but it, it, it's instrumental in giving me the foundation of that marketing, right? Because mm -hmm. the stage we were in at that point of time. And then I used all of that experience at Belong, basically. So basically, uh, at Wingify, we were very inbound marketing driven. We didn't use ABM or outbound as a strategy so much. We were very, very heavily reliant on inbound because it's a bootstrap company. So, you know, it's not like one of those companies where you just like keep burning the money to get in the leads and all. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted to understand the other side of things, right? Like how does ABM work? How does... Uh, enterprise marketing sales work because again, Wingify was very SMB mid-market focused at that point of time. So Belong was a very uh, uh, deliberate choice in that manner because it's it's into HR tech. I wanted that the change over there in terms of industry as well. And over there, I worked on the demand side of things, a bit of content, demand generation and all. Uh, I kind of spend my time, but I also I also realized that when you're doing enterprise, you're mainly like supporting sales, which is great, but that's something that I don't pretty much enjoy. So the moment I had this opportunity with Hiver, I uh, came on board and I love it again because it's again very inbound driven, very SMB mid-market focused with a huge play for marketing, right? Which mm -hmm. is what I love doing with, you know, when you build a content driven engine, uh, a lot of focus on branding. There's yeah. a lot more opportunity for, for marketing. Yeah. I want to talk about something we chatted about in the, in the pre-show. We were reminiscing about the good old days. You started <laughs> around 2013. I started yeah. around 2008. And you said, I, I asked you, well, what, what worked best? And you said everything worked back then. <laughs> and you, you're totally right. It did. Can you talk about what used to work really well then, which really doesn't work today? And how can marketers like us now adapt to those changes when the blueprint or the playbook of stuff that should work is no longer really working. Right. I think, I think I've learned this the very hard way because uh, again, like I, as I told you in 2013, when I joined, that was the only experience I had, right? The first blog post I wrote for them, uh, you know, about e-commerce best practices started ranking uh, within two to three weeks on page one. It used to, I remember we used to be on the third or the fourth position on, you know, Google and it's just like crazy and it's not like very easy to do right now, right? And what, for what a, keyword did you rank for? This was, I think, e-commerce homepage best practices or e-commerce uh, product page best practice, which is Ooh, not, good. Not, not a very common, like not, not a very, very competitive keyword, but it's not easy as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because you had so many other players talking about the same thing, A-B testing, at that point of time, like a lot of people had started getting into it. Uh, you know, your conversion Excel was writing about it. Unbounce was writing about it. You had very big competitive players. And like it started ranking. That was my first article ever, right? My first B2B experience and started ranking, had 10, 15 comments. And I was like, okay, this is how it is, right? This is always yeah. how it's going to be. And it, it kept on happening all through my like first year. I think I was heavily into content and every piece I wrote easily ranked. Right, mm -hmm. page one, page two, very competitive keywords as well. Wasn't it uh, like magic back then, Mohita? I, I, I remember those days. Uh, back also. then, I didn't know it was magic. Back then, I thought like this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> right now, yeah. I look back and I'm like, oh, that was magic. You know, I miss it. But it, it was, at that yeah. point of time, you when don't you realize. A, when you got a taste for it. It was like, oh wow, this is. It became almost addictive that you you right. could publish stuff and rank it easily, and you start getting traffic. Yeah, that, yeah, it was also the only experience I had, right? So I just thought like, and also put in a lot of effort. It was not like I just put something out. Uh, 
so i thought maybe like you know what i'm doing is really really uh, you know having an impact same with like i i remember i uh, did a research customer again e-commerce cart abandonment research and this report got a lot of pr a lot of organic pr got into forbes like we didn't even do reach out right like it was all mm-hmm. organic we didn't even realize that we were given a backlink at so many of these you know very good publications uh similarly like you know had like over 2000 downloads that doesn't happen anymore right even with the best of uh, brand efforts and all so yeah those were the things like webinars like i think we started doing webinars in early 2014 and it was just catching on and i remember like you'd get like again 800000 registrations easily i have have a very good uh, audience in general like in terms of the actual attendees unlike mm-hmm. now when it's all saturated it's very very hard to like you know differentiate yourself from the rest and yeah. so much of competition so really webinars and ebooks these are the, the formats that i remember for lead generation they used to be they used to be pretty reliable and as you said a really good ebook would naturally get pr and attract backlinks and it would rank well you could get a ton of of uh, value and shelf life out of that webinars would you could get hundreds or sometimes over a thousand registrations today that's much harder why do you think that's so much harder today to get traction with ebooks and with webinars oh uh, i think there are multiple factors one if you look at just the industry itself and this kind of content piece right everyone's writing ebooks uh, as a as a medium it's kind of gotten saturated people are bored of it right everyone's writing ebooks is just for everything not just from a business perspective or like today i was just looking at something like how do you make money on the side like you know those kind of things mm-hmm. where everyone has ebooks for like some 10 dollars or free but it's it's become a very common tool right lead generation tool for b2c as well basically uh the other thing i feel like is also the general attention span of people right uh, i mean i think 10 years back how things were and how things are right now with whole instagram and all the other mediums you have general the people's capacity to concentrate on anything and read for that long is also reducing right uh, similarly with webinars they used to be hour long back then right people are like quick like watch want to watch like 2 minutes 3 minute reels right now a mm-hmm. lot of people are consuming information in that manner in like bite size quick videos now you know on social yeah. media and all instead of those hour long lectures yeah i i totally agree mohita i remember that it almost feels like it's full circle because in the in the 2010 2012 to 2013 or so you could rank you could rank a 500 word blog post a well written 500 word blog post with a few backlinks as long as you were writing it from a pretty solid uh, domain authority or domain rating right uh, site or the root domain was solid that was pretty easy. Then the game was, oh, well, now we need to get to a thousand words. And then there was a shift probably around, I don't know, 2014, 15. There was a big shift to long form content. And I think right. this was the last type of content that was primarily consumed through desktop and not through mobile. Because then the mobile devices really started to take over. And I think that the mobile devices is what has also contributed to the behavioral shift right. of consumers. Uh, mobile apps and everything everything is very instantaneous and you also want your content you want to consume your content that way so an hour long webinar is is almost for that's that's you know that's uh, way way too long now and right. re- reading an ebook that might be 10,000 words or something that's just not something that people are really into especially on a mobile device and i do feel like it's coming full circle because now the key is how do you how do you come back to short form content but still deliver a dynamic experience give people the answers that they want and keep them engaged and keep them right. moving along your your journey or moving through your funnel um so how do you how do you break the mold now you're at hiver you've had these experiences you've seen in the good old days things used to work easily they don't work as well anymore you can't just produce a lot of ebooks you can't just churn out hour long webinars so now what do you what do you do to innovate in in this demand generation space and and do something differently i think uh, first of all i've learned this the hard way like you know i came with that confidence that i've done this in the past i can do this again but i think i learned this the hard way that it's not going to work similarly and we'll have to 
change some of these mediums right everyone keeps still talking if you were to google and everyone still keeps talking about write an ebook you know do a webinar so yeah. we're actually talking about that these things really really don't work anymore right so i think one of the things some, some of the things we started doing is also differentiate the channels right so again right now organic seo is a huge channel for us so over there our emphasis is uh, still long form content good content which we want to rank right we we keep it separate but with other mediums like in, if imagine we have a webinar we recently had a webinar with an influencer in our space uh, what we did was like it was a 30 minute webinar and we divided it into chunks like say for 2 minutes 3 minutes and we took out nuggets from it which we'll be promoting on linkedin for better engagement you know so instead of just putting it behind a wall and saying okay you know you fill this form and watch it then watch it for 30 minutes and all we know like you know putting it behind a wall doesn't matter we want to give people value the emphasis is to give people value i think putting behind landing paging walls and all don't don't really work anymore so the idea is to give out this information as freely as possible and use social media right so a huge part of our emphasis now at least in the last few months specifically we've been able, able to focus on is social media so we use that uh, to you know to to churn out basically short form content similarly like we did a report recently which was around customer support benchmark trends right where we surveyed customer support professionals in terms of understanding that you know how are how does what are the most important metrics for them uh, you know what is good average resolution time for them and those kind of things now this is a big report so in the old days i would just put the report uh, you know do a press release around it and all those kind of things get some influences but now what we have decided is like a lot more media channels with it you know we divided the report taken out every graph made it more interesting add more narrative mm-hmm. to it and you know put it on so- on social in a bigger way you know done more infographics so we just repackaging the content in yeah. formats people like you right. know people are able to consume i i totally agree with you mahita i think now it's about not necessarily avoiding that long form content because some type of content really lends itself to right. if you really want to go in depth and cover something very very comprehensively and and have the authority and the thought leadership that comes with that right. and still long form content's appropriate but what people want to consume especially on their mobile devices is they just want snackable bites of that so right. i think this this repurposing exercise is really such a key now right. in 2013 2014 you could just go out there with the long form content people had the the longer attention spans and it was also easier to distribute that organically at least but now they just want a snack so you have to chop that up into bite-sized bits little video bits here audio bits maybe some quotes maybe some nice images and right. i think that is the key to a really uh, a, a really high functioning high performing content team now is not only the ability to produce that content well but then also to repurpose it and redistribute it well and and also to think about the time the timeline or the sequencing of how you redistribute those those chopped up bite-sized bits of content. I think that's also important because you can get a much longer shelf life out of a piece of content yeah. if you're smart about how you how you drip that out because it still will be relevant if if um, a month later you might want to bring somebody back to it. Um as well as mixing it into the advertising into your advertising campaigns. Um, right. Cuz I think too many of the ad campaigns are just trying to go straight to the bottom of the funnel, exactly. capture yeah. capture an SQL without any other previous touch points. um but we we encourage a lot of our clients to think about putting some of that middle funnel content into the into those uh, ad into those ad funnels so that people can get a little bit more familiar with um with the thought leadership in the brand before like they convert up to top of the funnel awareness i think it's very important to leverage campaigns like this right i mean that's another thing we've consciously tried doing as you said right like it's not just about like put the ebook out there for organic consumption if it's a really valuable good content use it for generating top of the funnel awareness you know mm-hmm. now how do you all do that at hiver do you have a team that do you divide responsibilities between certain people who produce the core content and other people that are supposed to repurpose that and promote it yeah so the way we do this right now is i don't think so for repurposing we don't have anyone yet we we still like uh, we around nine people in core marketing team eight to nine people right now so we have a demand generation team uh, which is not a team per se if you say like nine people overall the two two people in the demand generation team who are largely working on all the paid channels right now so mm-hmm. which is again primarily adwords for us 
but apart from this with content we have uh, around 3 3 to 4 people so one person is largely responsible for content strategy content creation or uh, one person's doing social media so a lot of content repurposing and all automatically you know falls into their lap and mm-hmm. then we have uh, one person handling just distribution right because this is something we've never uh, focused earlier on because again a lot of it was happening organically uh, but we did reposition uh, last year from like a shade and box solution i'd love to tell you more about it because that was a big branding exercise for us and mm-hmm. we moved to the help desk space so ever since we moved to the help desk space the tussle to start ranking uh, on google is much much harder you know oh, yeah. so we have a dedicated uh, distribution team where you know they take care of uh, backlinks or the strategies and all just for this because we again produce enormous amount of content in different formats mm-hmm. that sounds like a, a very well organized team um for nine people i think you've got it covered pretty well Now let's come back to what you just mentioned. I I really want to talk more about this. You you did a it's something of a rebranding, but you took the the hybrid brand which was associated with this thing called the shared inbox and you moved over to going after association more with help desk right. with a help desk solution. Am I right? Right, right. And about when did when did you all make that decision to to make that pivot? So this happened uh last year roughly the same time, I think July or August. Okay. It's been 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 roughly one year, yeah. And so a year in was it worth it? Definitely, yes, definitely. It was a it was a very well thought out decision. Uh mm-hmm. so it was not like one of those things obviously something like this you don't just decide on, right? So uh with share inboxes, uh if you look at share inboxes, I think it just needed a relook at the way we look at ourselves, right? So we always called ourselves a shared inbox solution. And it's it's a very tactical way of saying like you know we what we do basically which is help teams manage uh, you know any kind of group email address and all so uh, we've always been doing that and we also were seeing a lot more competition popping up in the same category so that was like a positive affirmation we are moving in the right direction but at the same time i'm just doing a little behind the scenes of what led to the decision sure while yeah. while there was uh, a lot more competition popping up uh, and which was very exciting and gratifying but on the other hand what we were really seeing was that if if you use if you looked at hyper right and that's one of the core things that you look at how your customers are using you right who your customers are so if we looked at like we had an honest look at the how the product was used and who was using the product we've always always been fairly function agnostic company agnostic because any team can use hyper right like your sales marketing hr finance even can use uh but what we saw was there was a huge majority like 60 70% uh use case which was customer service right so even though we always knew that we cater to everyone uh the best use case you know the people the champions the people who really use your product and give you very good feedback like the best use case was always coming from your customer service and by customer service i don't mean like the conventional b2c ticketing kind of a thing where you you reach out to uh you know say a uh, a uh, e-commerce company saying hey my order is not reached and uh, they they raise a ticket and you know that entire thing but more like b2b services sort of a thing you know mm-hmm. your real estate your ad agencies your you know different kind of uh, your operations uh, very heavily reliant on operation kind of team so again these were customer service but but it required more back and forth of communication instead of hey i've resolved your ticket Mm-hmm. So we so saw there just more more complex type of issues and more, more variance complex. in the support yeah. that that's yes, needed. Yes. Yeah. And 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 a typical help desk a typical help desk didn't satisfy them, right? Uh a typical help desk was not something they needed because the way they are built are to close tickets where uh high was built to enable seamless conversation, right? So uh we kind of saw an opportunity over there. that you know although it's a very cluttered space taking a step you know moving from a shared inbox category uh, where you are one of the first ones with very few play- players to get into a very competitive category it kind of required multiple you know rethinking but we finally understood that this is a space for us to be in because uh, you can look at shared inbox but ultimately shared inbox is kind of like a sub category of help desk if you actually look at it 
so uh, you know ultimately it was looking at our own customers which propelled this decision that you know we have to go forward and reposition ourselves as you know the world's first gmail based help desk mhm and i can see that that's a great thanks for that that explanation to me it sounds like first of all i think it was a great decision because uh, shared inbox is it's a new category and you're one of the creators of that category but in terms of acquisition and demand gen i would say it's still not it's still not a phrase it hasn't become a household phrase it is not it is not so and people are not really searching heavily for that i i presume yeah and they were not and there was only so much headroom you know we could yeah. grow like right. because uh, beyond a point there was no as you said no no more search for it yeah i think this is a great case study in uh, having a saas company which creates a category and then and then moves to a higher either moves adjacent to an adjacent category that's more well established or they may move um, I think of the shared inbox category as a child category of helpers <laughs> yeah that that's a good way to think about it yeah and and I think this is a great a great example of uh, reaching a state of of traction success maturity where you're ready to do that and you all decided it was time to to do that i was looking at the uh, g2 and and you all are still in the category of of shared inbox software with front and with with uh well hubspot is there with their solution and there's a bunch of other players i think hubspot is just accidentally there they don't really i think hubspot it. is accidentally in in a lot of g2 lot categories, of categories yeah, yeah. <laughs> something's something's going on there there's a lot of ways to to slip on that <laughs> it's a slippery slope with hubspot i mean there's a, there's 100 right. ways they can get you in and then um and then it's a it's a quick it's a quick uh, upgrading and upselling from there but let's not let's not go there i think what's interesting is when i go to your to your website and your homepage you've optimized the the seo title the page title for world's first gmail based help desk so clearly you're going after help desk i really also love that you are connecting with you're really resonating with gmail because it's very clear that people who are on gmail now um it was g suite now i think it's called google workplace they change that right. every couple of years but basically gmail is gmail everybody knows what gmail is and i think that this is an interesting move because i've seen other saas players do the same thing i saw um for um what's now copper the crm copper they were formerly called prosperworks right. i think what got them to where they were was they said we are the best crm for gmail if right. you're using gmail then you have to use us because we have the deepest most native integration it's seamless and effectively you can manage your crm inside of your inbox in gmail you don't have to go out come back in and go out copy paste stuff and i see that you all are taking a similar angle um and it's bold because you're the world's first gmail based help desk and i think that's that's awesome that you that you put that flag in the ground like that so can you talk to me about also the decision to to really um latch on so to speak or hitch hitch your wagon to gmail I think it was a very obvious decision for us just like prosper works in copper right like we operate natively out of gmail that's the only solution we built because from the very beginning we i mean this is the founder back story right when he was trying to you know work with gmail to have a conversation with his you know colleagues across and all he was finding it difficult to manage communication so if you look at the way the product has evolved over the years it's been very very organic product growth through the customer feedback right we we never jumped or you know thought like too much uh in too much farther down the line we always took up took very small steps uh, based on the customer feedback and we always realized that uh, gmail was a very organic choice neeraj was the ceo of the company for him to start building the solution because he saw more and more businesses were starting out on you know google workspace gs formerly gs we so it made a lot of sense that for him it was like why do i have to go to a different solution to manage these things right it's such a such a clean system i mean it should ideally be working within gmail itself so i think it was it was a very organic choice and with marketing i think with every good marketing if i were to say so like it 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 stems from the founder story right where it should be simple like that's one of the core uh, principles of fiverr like that it's very simple if you look go to like you know jiro crowd everyone keeps talking about how simple to use the product is how easy it is to get us to get started so i think i think that was the uh, entire crux of it and i think within gmail like by working within gmail it gives gives us that advantage right any other solution it's if it's working outside of it 
uh, it's not going to be as uh, seamless, right? You have to log mm-hmm. into a different solution, uh, you know, co- constantly switch tabs. Just with being within Gmail enables that simplicity. And uh, we've obviously latched onto that positioning because uh, it also gives us the competitive advantage, right? When you are entering such a competitive category, I have to differentiate how how we different, right? So uh, I think being within Gmail gives us that advantage, or at least uh, tells everyone that hey, how are we different? Basically, anyone who's going to make a choice knows that there's a there's a choice that if they go for Freshworks or or Zendesk, uh, these are the advantages. There's a different solution and all. But if I want to stay within mm-hmm. Gmail and have that simplicity, then Hive is the best choice out there. We are not saying that we are the most comprehensive solution, solution, but we are saying that we are the best solution if you want to work within Gmail and keep things simple for yourself. Yeah. Does it hurt to, to pretty much cut out all the Outlook customers by doing that? Or do you do you have Outlook customers or is it this is... We don't. We, we actually sense. don't work with Outlook. I mean, yeah. from a technical standpoint, it's not okay. very... Uh, I'm not like a technical person. It's not very easy to build a solution out there uh, the way it yeah. is for Google because, you know, they've opened their APIs and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't hurt a little bit to me as a marketer. I don't think so too as a company because like if you look at G Suite, the I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, last numbers I saw, they're like hundreds and thousands of uh, basically oh, yeah. G Suite customers, right? So it's a huge mm-hmm. market you have to play in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the challenge for me personally with marketing was initially to how do I cut out certain channels? I mean, the room for experimentation slightly uh, lowers when you know that, you know, uh, you can't go very broad with your channels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to go with the hunch that, okay, over here, I'm going to find more people who are using G Suite instead of Outlook, right? So I have mm-hmm. to like, uh, I have to plan out my channels or like any kind of paid campaigns in such a manner, like when I'm doing any campaign with anyone, that if they if they are very like old school sort of companies that they are not a right fit for us because you assume they're going to be on Outlook, right? So that automatically also helps you define that, okay, I'm going to play in that hey, fast-growing companies, uh, largely in, in, in US, in the SMB mid-market range. That's my best bet, you know. And this we've learned through a lot of trials and errors, especially when we did ABM, you know. Because with mm-hmm. inbound, right, obviously people were coming in on their own and we would get mostly G Suite. We rarely get Outlook because we've been so upfront on our website that, hey, we work only with G Suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with outbound, I think when you reach out, you get much more clarity of what kind of companies typically uh, would be on G Suite. You know, so mm-hmm. your typical old-fashioned bigger companies are all on Outlook. Yeah, yeah. So there was a bit of learning curve, I would say, over there, uh, more than yeah. anything else. And uh, I'd like to dig a little bit into your ABM strategy because I'm. I'm very fascinated by this now. Um, so you you need to target companies probably of a certain size that have a have a a, the, a support team and a manager who's going to be the the ICP the buyer, and you need to know that they're on they're they're on G Suite or Google uh, Google market uh, marketing. What is Google it? Space, yeah. uh, market space, market marketplace. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. I'll just keep calling it G Suite because I still haven't broken that habit. Yeah, that's completely so, fine. <laughs> Do you use something like a built with or um, some sort of an enrichment uh, enrichment tool that will uh, basically immediately weed out and just narrow down the, the target list to Gmail? Yeah. So we, we use a bunch of tools. Uh, we, you know, even use Crunchbase to get some data and even they have a filter. But the mm-hmm. hard truth is that none of these tools are reliable, right? Like none of these tools are like 100%. They'll give you like 70, 80%. So that's mm-hmm. why we have a, a in-house team of data analysts who also like we use a bunch of tools to get a layer of like, you know, say we take, we get the data from Crunchbase and then using built with, but then we also have a in-house data analyst team, which also basically uh, checks all of these emails manually, which is a very old fashioned way, but we do mm-hmm. these, uh, do this in-house because we are very particular about, okay, not spamming people. Uh, we try to be a little ethical with, with everything we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And is there, is there a, connection between ABM and outbound? So I at least think of it in this way. Uh, I think outbound used to be the term, the preferred term, which was used earlier. And then I think at some point of time, some point of time, outbound kind of uh, uh, started being known to be notorious because people would be cold calling, cold emailing Mm -hmm. a lot, right? I think ABM is like the slick, fancier version of it, where mm-hmm. I think you are doing a lot more educated, nuanced reach out. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's it's evolved to be ABM. I mean, some people still call it outbound, but ABM is something where your marketing and sales is far more aligned. The difference be, between like someone just picking up a call, hey, on a cell over here, you you do the uh, research, okay? I want to uh, reach out to Paris uh, for this tool that will help mm-hmm. his podcast. And you make a very educated guess over there and also do your research in terms of, you know, uh, showing him all the relevant ads on the websites he's likely to be and work with your marketing team to get the messaging right. You know, that he's the mm-hmm. persona for what kind of messaging will work. So you'll also do a lot more research. So it's just a little more, uh, a lot more uh, educated research based kind of targeting instead mm-hmm. of a very broad targeting. Yeah. And can you describe the the ideal customer profile or the the persona who is who you're selling to and who will make that decision and, and has the budget? Uh, so for us, uh, this customer persona conversation has like evolved a lot in the last two years, right? Because again, with the positioning change, everything changed. When we were uh, in the shared inbox space, we were again going after very very small companies, right? Uh, and I, one thing also happens is when you're doing more of inbound and when you have a very horizontal product, you realize you don't have one persona, you have multiple personas, right? So imagine being a horizontal product, being used by finance, HR in any kind of company, right? So it's almost impossible to flesh out like clear personas. But I think with our ABM strategy where we have kind of uh, understood that, okay, these are the companies we want to reach out. This is the persona we want to reach out. This is where we have kind of nailed it. I wouldn't say nailed it, but we've got a much better clarity in terms of to who our persona is. So we largely say reaching out to your, uh, you know, customer operations manager, customer support managers in, uh, again, mid-market, SMB mid-market sort of companies. And with industries, we are uh, very hot. Again, we are very uh, agnostic, but we are very, very uh, hot on your, uh, say, the high growth startups, uh, your Logistics companies, as I was explaining earlier, because logistics can, again involves a lot of back and forth communication mm-hmm. with different teams within the company, uh, your finance teams. Uh, and apart from, again, apart from the support persona, we also have finance teams using Hiver a lot. You know, uh, mm-hmm. th- this is a use case we have seen internally also a lot, lot more that, you know, we have account payables, account receivables using Hiver because they get mm-hmm. so many bills and they need to cater to so many things. Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's talk now about the other, the other motion, the bottom up motion, which I, I like to call product led growth. Right. And it, it appears that on your website, I could either request a demo or I could start a free trial. Right. And uh, the free trial to me, the 14 day free trial is, is the product led growth motion. Right. And uh, you're asking for name, phone, email. Approximately, what is the breakout or the ratio of the initial, well, let's just call them conversions here, the initial conversions that come uh, from this product-led growth free trial motion versus the uh, requested demo? How do the, how do the numbers shake out? So uh, by conversions, I would assume you're saying the, the marketing qualified lead, which is the marketing goal. Is that yeah, is, do you define marketing qualified lead as a free trial, uh, free trial yeah, start? Yeah, as a free okay. trial, right. So, so, uh, yeah. so for marketing, the goal is to generate NQLs, which is again, your through free trial demos. There's even an on-demand webinar. There are multiple ways. Even the on-demand webinar is intended to be this, like, you know, just watch a five minute video and then sign up for a, uh, a call back or something like that. So basically the, the ratio would be, I would say around, uh, 60, 40, I would say, uh, okay. with more uh, leaning towards free trial. Although mm-hmm. of late, like the, the on-demand webinar CDA, which we have on the homepage, it was one of the most recent experiments we did, which is doing great for us, right? So really? earlier, earlier, the division would always be the free trial and the demo, right? Uh, so we also thought that, hey, maybe like we need to give people something in between where yeah. they might not want to commit to an entire, they might not want to speak to a sales guy right now. But they might want to look at the product a little more, right? They want to just get a feel of what it is instead of just the pictures and, you know, a short snippet sort of a thing. So we have this on-demand webinar, which is around, runs for around nine minutes and we capture the information. So this is something that's performing very well for us, actually. And mm-hmm. it's eating into the share of actually both the other, you know, for the, for the demo as well as the trial. Typically, although we do see trial to be the 
first uh, number one conversion uh, you know goal among all three mm-hmm. that's very very interesting and i think this is a great lesson for our listeners which is you don't have to only have a binary um split between an MQL motion and an SQL where you're either pushing people into free trial or you're going to push them into a demo, into a a demo calendar booking. But there's something in in the middle. So you took some of the content from what would commonly be shown in a demo. You packaged it into a nine-minute webinar, on-demand webinar, and then you actually generated MQLs for those video views. I think that's a, a quite innovative approach. And you're saying it's working, it's working really well. It's working really well because again, this is something also from our own experience, right? A lot of times you don't really want to commit to talk to someone because once you commit to speak yeah. to a salesperson, they really want to speak to you, right? Like they want mm-hmm. to call you and everything, but at the same time, you I, want to let go. Absolutely. I think this is one of the other big uh, behavioral shifts that's, that's happened in just in this pandemic period. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot, but people are much less willing, even though they probably have more time in their hands. And they, they might spend all day on video calls, so they're definitely <laughs> comfortable doing that. Right. Maybe they're burned out doing that. But they're, they're reluctant to talk to sales because a lot of times they feel more empowered to make their own decision. They feel like they know, they know what they need and they need to just get their hands on the product right. and try to, to see if this is the product that solves my number one pain point. And I think product-led growth is a better experience and, and the, the big the big. KPI that I see with a lot of companies doing product-led growth is that time to first value where the user or the prospect can really deeply visualize themselves or they can actually experience the product and they can, they can taste that value. They might have a little taste of the value, but they do get a taste and they say, ah, you know, there's a light bulb moment. It's the faster you can get to that light bulb moment, the more likely you're going to eventually get, if you can get them on a sales call, if you want, or they're, they're going to, they're going to keep, they're going to keep going further and further. And I think that this nine-minute video, that length, I like that length a lot because I think you can do a lot in nine minutes that you definitely couldn't do in a, in a one-minute uh, explainer right. type of brand video. And people don't want to sit around for 25, 30 minutes either because you're going right. to lose them. So you shrunk it down to nine minutes. And then you you gated it, which is actually, I think this is cutting against the grain because I don't see many many companies, especially SaaS companies, gating a nine-minute video anywhere. But you're doing it and it's working. And I think that's that's really awesome. So that might be stealing share away from your classic MQL, the, the free trial start. But do those MQLs convert to SQLs at a higher percentage than the, the typical MQL? Right. No, I think we're just seeing almost a similar... I mean, obviously, the, the, the percentage of those converting from demo is higher. And I think after that, it's it's the it's the webinar, on-demand webinar. And maybe after that, the free trial. But there's not a huge difference. Okay. Yeah. But but just having that third option is, is great um, for people. Also, I think the way we do sales is also very different, right? Although we do heavily rely on product-led growth, but with mm-hmm. every trial that comes in from either of these three mediums, uh, we have a sales team who, who speaks to them. So every, okay. every yeah. trial is spoken to. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're getting the name and the email and the phone number. So I'm, I'm assuming somebody's going to, somebody's right. going to touch them and, and maybe depending on the, the size of the company or the number of seats, you know, right. get assigned a priority and you'll have maybe a high, higher touch from sales with the, right. with the bigger fish. One thing I'm curious about on the product led growth side is it would seem to me to be technically possible, which is why don't you just ask them to connect right in with their G Suite account? And then, and then fire an email to support at company name so they can actually experience it. The, they can experience the flow of receiving an email to support at hiver.com and then reassigning that to someone on their team. Or is so that think, asking too much at so that you stage? Think, is that, are you saying when, while they're signing up, they sign in through their G Suite? Is this what you mean? Yeah. Instead of starting a free trial, which is basically filling out a short form and waiting right. for something to happen, you just tell well, them. You don't, you don't wait. You, you connect right away. Oh, okay. Okay, so sorry, then I didn't go through the, the I didn't go through the proper flow. Then. So I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So when I joined, we just had one flow where you come you come to the website and you input your email and you click and you just automatically do auth like the authorization to use your uh, you know G Suite email ID and then you basically start using the product. You know, you go mm-hmm. with the Gmail and start using the product. 
but I added the free trial form basically, uh, and I changed the onboarding that as soon as you fill out, fill out the form, uh, then it takes your G Suite ID and does the auth and the process starts. And the primary reason for this is because uh, we would get a lot of junk with that, right? Like okay. it was it was kind of like a nightmare, and also the information you collect, you didn't have enough information because we were also moving a little up market, right? We don't completely mm-hmm. cater to SMBs. And we have a you know a very well established sales process. So okay. because if you're just asking them to connect through G Suite, you would have uh, a lot of your personal email IDs, uh, you know, people joining from their personal. Okay. Yeah. Were there is there a way to to exclude Gmail and, and for, um, narrow that or um, filter that only for business accounts, so that you could eliminate all that that junk? You could, but I think it was just leading to since the sign. I think it's just. Uh, one of the two choices. I mean, we'd probably get more emails, uh, like you know, when you directly logging in through G Suite, right? Like the it, mm-hmm. it also makes it easier to sign up, uh, you know, like because the process is very very simple. But again, you're not able to do any kind of segmentation in terms of who it is, what kind of company it is, like mm-hmm. how do you route it to SGRs and all. So I think in terms of SGR okay. efficiency, also that's that's something that yeah. sales efficiency takes a kind of a setback. I, I see. I, I think it's it's one of those decisions. Even you go with either of them, you either create a lot more leads, but the intent is much lower. Because when once you if you make it very easy for someone to sign up, it also brings in a lot more junk. And this is not just Gmail, but generally low intent, where they mm-hmm. just like you know sign yeah. up like that. And there's another route where you have a form. So basically, you make it slightly harder, but you also ensure if they're spending their time, they're serious about it. Yeah. Right. And, so yeah, and to qualify a little bit up, up front. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting trade-off. And I think a lot of SaaS companies are facing that trade-off because there's a, there's a lot of um, hype and uh, around product-led growth. Uh, but in some cases, if you're going to really just flood, if you're going to be just receiving a flood of users who will never, ever upgrade to any paid plan, well, maybe that's just going to tax your resources and maybe you're just going to have to support I don't know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of accounts uh, over time that are never going to do anything. Um, but I guess it, ju- it does really depend on the product because in some cases, some companies are willing to accept that because they're able to d- determine types of signals where somebody might be ready. They, they might be qualified. Um, it could be an onboarding flow where you, you try to capture that pre-qualification information as they start to use the product itself or something like that. But um, yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of room to, to think through these flows and ultimately, and it sounds like you're, you're doing this, ultimately you just have to test each one and see, and, and you tested this, this quasi MQ, well, I don't know what, what we'd call it. It's a gated nine minute form, which, which generates a, a higher quality MQL. And, uh, and I think that was also a great, a great move. And you say it's, it works better than the, the classic, the, the classic, uh, free trial start. Yeah. Well, this is this is fascinating stuff. Uh, I think we could we could go on a lot longer, uh, and I and I would have a lot of, a lot more questions, but I guess we can wrap up. But before we do, Mojita, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wished I would have asked you that you would like for our audience to know? Oh, that that makes it very very broad for me. I would say. I mean. Uh... I think it's just like a very, I think I just like generally I'm someone who's a lot more focused on branding and storytelling now. Uh, I think as a, as a medium is that something I usually like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like, again, a huge emphasis we have at Hiver where obviously we're going out for the positioning uh, as you yourself pointed out, right? With the world's first email based help desk and the entire product led growth. But I think a lot of our innovation also comes from our brand building and storytelling, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think we, we try and uh, focus on that. Being a small company, we still have our eyes on branding uh, because we want to differentiate from the rest. And we know ultimately, again, mm-hmm. we're marketing for humans as I, I as I started, yeah. you know, and that's that's been a part. Uh, and again, it's not like it's the prime focus because being in the stage we are right now, uh, I think it's very important when you're scaling to be focused more on demand. right? And as you grow, because again, brand, branding doesn't have direct ROI yet. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think as a company, we've, we've been very cognizant of the fact that, that that's an important factor for us. And we, we try to do that in a lot of ways, right? 
and we we borrow a lot from B2C over there. And some of the B2B companies done it like you know if you've seen Mailchimp, uh, it has this very uh, amiable kind of a character, a chimp, right? Mm-hmm. Like a brand mascot kind of a thing. So uh, at Hiver we have a a bee as a mascot, uh, which we try and like you know put out a lot more. And we use a lot more friendly colors, a lot of yellows, uh, yeah. whites, and things. And there's a lot of emphasis to uh, be a recognizable brand and be a amiable brand with our entire story right now. Mm-hmm. I, I love the the storytelling approach and the, the human the human approach. And it's very easy for SaaS companies, especially in their earlier stages where they're really trying to scale. It's very tempting and it's very easy for them to focus purely on growth marketing, demand gen, and and not really to place the right value in investing in the brand. Because ultimately, I think in all these categories, the winners, the top one, two, three, are going to also be by default the most recognizable brands. And they will be these companies that paid attention to and nurtured their brand building along the way. Because if you don't do that and you fail to tell your story, um, we, I had a guest on uh, a few months back and, and he said that we've just reached the point where the majority of SaaS buyers are millennials, the majority. And millennials make de- decisions very differently. They make decisions very collaboratively and they like to choose companies that have a connection or a, an affinity with their own values. They love a brand that tells a story and says, this is who we are. This is the founder's story. This is why he, he created this tool because he was frustrated with having to always leave his Gmail and go into a help, a clunky help desk solution. So he scratched his own itch and these are our values and these are our people. This is what we stand for. And millennial buyers resonate with that. And I think that's a big part of this too, is that if you don't try to tell a story like that, well, then you risk being just a commodity really at that point. And people are not. People are maybe will choose you because your feature set and your price are, are a little bit better than the next guy. But you really want people that are choosing you because we do have a great product, and they and they can connect with your brand and with your story. And I think that's the human aspect that that you mentioned. Well, yeah, that's a great. I think that's a great place to end it, Mojita. We came um, quite full circle. Uh, a full lot circle, of yeah. a lot of geeky, a lot of geeky stuff, but we ended with big picture, and I think brand. Um, always needs to be a priority no matter what stage you're in as a, as a growth SaaS company. So, well, uh, thank you very much for spending this almost an hour with me today. Mojita, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Paris. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I know like we had to reschedule a couple of times, but I really, really loved speaking to you. It was a really energizing conversation. Same here. Thank you. Same here. All right. Well, you have a great day. All right. Thank you. Bye. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.